You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And if you are new to the podcast, we discuss topics rather than specific episodes. So this is not a spoiler-free podcast. We are discussing the series in its entirety, which as of this recording is the first season. So if you have not seen the first 10 episodes, beware that there are spoilers ahead. And in this episode, we're going to discuss the representation of queer characters in Orphan Black, specifically Cosima, Felix, Delphine, and Colin. And first, let's start out by saying we're using the word queer not in a derogatory way. It's a word that I tend to use just because it's a bit more inclusive than saying just gay or just lesbian or just bisexual. So we're going with queer, but again, do not mean it in a, in a derogatory way at all. So just to clarify up front. And personally, I think as far as the queer characters go, Cosima, Delphine, Felix, Colin, in terms of representation of queer characters, Cosima is probably the most significant given that she is a clone. She has genetic identicals on the show, but from what we've seen thus far, she is the only clone who has had same-sex relationships that we know of, at least. So... Having Cosima be a queer character suggests that in the Orphan Black universe, one's sexuality is not determined by genetics. Or is not strictly determined by genetics. Yes, because usually we have this debate in the general culture, at least in the United States, where, you know, there's the there's the born this way argument, people are born gay, straight, bisexual, what, what have you, or people, because of nature or their environment become gay, straight, whatever, later in life, or, you know, through the course of uh, several years. And so that's usually the debate. It's kind of this either or. And so at least in Orphan Black, in the Orphan Black universe, it doesn't seem to be that clear cut because of having Cosima be a queer character. And Graham Manson, actually, in an interview that he did with, with Vulture.com, he discusses sort of the, the writer's or the show's stance on sexuality. And here's what he says. Delphine, a conflicted straight girl, gives our thesis on sexuality in episode 8 when she says, As a scientist, I know that sexuality is a spectrum, but social biases codify sexual, sexual attraction contrary to the biological facts. So yes, biological facts. People are definitely born this way. That's the nature side, whether it's genetic or epigenetic or whether womb chemistry plays a part. As each of our clones were carried by different surrogates, that could explain differences in sexuality. But who wants to run around blaming mothers and their hormone levels for the sexuality of their children. Haven't we had enough of that since, like, forever? Maybe it was the lipstick on Daddy's glove box or Great Uncle Arthur's. Okay, then how about the nurture side of things? Cosima grew up in the Bay Area, in a permissive community and a progressive home, fostering, fostering intellectual and social tolerance. She learned to approach sexuality without shame, with curiosity. I think Cosima's been bisexual, if you had to codify it, but maybe she's ready to identify as gay self-identify as gay. She would defend her freedom to choose no matter where nature placed her on the spectrum. And Delphine, too, makes a choice to follow her heart for an individual, even though she's always been straight. Aw, isn't that sweet, shippers? It actually says that in there. That is not an editorial aside. So sexuality is a spectrum of many factors, and even though we're a show about clones, we celebrate individuality and the crazy contingencies of nature. And just to keep it all in perspective, season two spoiler, Cosima will remind us at some point next year, my sexuality is not the most interesting thing about me. So this was 
Graham Benson's statement to clarify the show's view on sexuality, but when I first read it, I just thought that is the most confusing clarification I've ever read. <laughs> it, it is sort of a contradictory clarification. Uh, he, he says one thing and then says something else that kind of goes against that, unless, because you and I were talking about this before, how it kind of doesn't make sense that he very specifically says people are born this way, but then he goes on. Not not just people are born this way, but people are definitely born this way. Yes. So that sounds like a very definitive statement. Because it has the word definitely in it. Exactly. But then he goes on and says, but that's kind of an old approach to sexuality. Let's look at the nurture side of things. So it's it's confusing to me when at least when I first read it, it was very confusing to me. So here's my theory. <laughs> Perhaps he means some people are definitely born this way, or or there are people who are definitely born this way. That to me makes more sense than what he specifically says, or or if one were to read what he says very literally. Yes, and that actually helped a bit, because I think that's that's fair. That he could, instead of saying all people are definitely born this way, what he means is some people are born this way. So there are some queer people or straight people, you know, who, who in the womb, their sexuality has been established, determined by whatever genetics, epigenetics, womb chemistry, as he specifies. But there are other people who come to understand their sexuality due to environmental factors instead of biological, primarily biological factors. So to further this, this debate of, of nurture, I guess, really, you know, we were talking about this earlier, and I can kind of see Cosima versus Allison, for example. I mean, from what we know of Cosima's upbringing, what Graham Manson was just saying, that, that she was born in the Bay Area and raised in a very sort of accepting, tolerant environment, it sounds like, versus, let's say, Allison, who, as we always talk about, is sort of trying desperately to be the perfect suburban wife and mother and all this sort of thing. So I kind of can't see Allison ever acting on any same-sex attraction if she were to ever have any. You know what I mean? Like, even if she did, we'd probably never know about it because Allison seems more more likely to just repress whatever it is, as opposed to Cosima, who would just be completely open to it. At least this is my interpretation. <laughs> No, because I, I think that's fair. I think in regards to their upbringings, definitely Allison's upbringing would discourage her to consider any type of attraction she might have for other women in that way. She would maybe just brush it off as, oh, I just really like them a lot or what have you. So even if she did have that type of attraction, her upbringing would not encourage her to explore that in any other way besides a friendship way. Whereas with Cosima, like you said, she would just say, oh. I'm attracted to this person. Let's give it a shot. Why not? Because of her upbringing. Which is exactly what happened. Because there was nerd <laughs> flirting. <laughs> Though I think there is a suggestion, at least, that that Delphine is not Cosima's first female love interest that she's had. Would you say that's oh, right. fair? I mean, I... Yeah, they didn't say one way or the other, but... I mean, Cosima's so so utterly unfazed by the attraction. I mean, it just, it seems like it's nothing new, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. It, especially in the scene where she kisses Delphine for the first time and Delphine is surprised by it. 
And Cosima says, oh, did I just make a big mistake? Are you not gay? And that to me says that maybe that might have happened to her before. <laughs> like she thought, maybe she thought some, a, a woman was interested in her and then realized, oh, wait, no. And again, with the, when she, and even though it's a horrible, horrible comment to make, but when she kicks Delphine out of her apartment and makes that really biting remark about how she could tell it was her first time with a, with a woman. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, so I do think that Cosima at least has explored these things before, but, there is the suggestion because she's a clone that maybe her genetics wasn't the only thing at play in regards to what caused her to engage in same sex, same sex attraction. Whereas you have Delphine, which, who very clearly makes a choice. She has identified as straight. She even sort of pushes Cosima away when she first kisses her. And it's just like, no, 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 that's, you know, not for me. It's fine. It's fine. I'm, it's, I'm not, it, it's not a bad thing that you did that, but I'm, I'm not gay. But then we see her really make a choice and say, okay, let's give this a go. Right. And of course, you know, not to complicate matters, but then there's the whole, at least as an audience member, at first, you're sort of not necessarily sure how much that's her choice and how much is being dictated by her quote unquote job. Although I think as we get further into it, as we've discussed in previous episodes there, it seems more like it isn't strictly dictated by, by what she's been mandated to do. Yeah. I, as, as I've said before about Delphine, I'm not entirely sure about her motivations, but I, I think that that is where they're going. That Delphine does have genuine lovey-dovey type feelings for for Cosima. It certainly does seem that way, yeah. Yeah. Another thing that is interesting about Graham's statement is he he calls Cosima bisexual. And I think when interviews first started happening with Tatiana Maslany and Graham Manson and people were sort of asking for clarification around Cosima's sexuality, people fans were kind of surprised when both Tatiana Maslany and then Graham Manson described Cosima as bisexual. I think a lot of fans assumed that Cosima identified as a lesbian. And I think the reason that that happened was that ordinarily, when we have bisexual female characters on television, which I think all the bisexual characters on television, well, almost all of them have been female, it's almost always we see them in relationships with men and then a female love interest is brought on for sweeps week. And then they go back to their nice, safe, heterosexual relationships once week's month or week or whatever are over. And so it's kind of unusual that for Cosima, who is bisexual, at least according to the showrunner, is bisexual, we first see her, her first major love interest we see her with is female. Indeed. And you and I were talking about this before and how... I mean, still, even after they've both made those statements, I, I still see a lot of comments on the internet at large about Cosima being a lesbian and all this sort of thing. And yeah, I, I still am a little puzzled just because I just find it interesting that that perspective is still somewhat prevalent, I guess, in fandom, regardless of statements from the actress and the showrunner. Well, to be fair, in this statement that, that I just read from Graham Manson, he does go on to say 
you know, I think Cosima's been bisexual, if you had to codify it, but maybe she's ready to self-identify as gay. So maybe he's not as hard and fast on, oh, she's bisexual, she's attracted to both men and women. So maybe we will see in the second season, maybe Cosima will identify as a lesbian. But both, I think both Tatiana Maslany and Graham Manson came into writing the story as with Cosima being bisexual. So... Another show that Chris and I really like and, and, uh, is Lost Girl. We have another podcast that we've we've mentioned before called Drinks at the Doll, which if you watch Lost Girl, you should go check out over at drinksatthedoll.com. Way to plug the show, Stephanie. Yeah, thanks. And so Lost Girl, which has been very well received by the LGBT queer community, has a couple of queer characters on the show, including the lead character who is bisexual, which is very, very rare. And... Even with, even though they have her have a significant male and female love interest on the show, it too kind of fell into this similar pattern of first we see this lead character kind of form an intense relationship with her male love interest rather than her female love interest. So, you know, even this other show, which is very forward thinking in regards to its portrayal of queer characters, still kind of use this the formula we usually see with female with female bisexual characters is first you set them up with a male love interest and then they get a female love interest. So I think it's very, very significant that over on on Orphan Black, if Kasima is going to continue to be a bisexual character, I think it's very significant that her first love interest was a female character. Which does also explain, as you mentioned, explains the audience reaction or, or response to that. Right. It's just because we'd never seen that done before, you know? <laughs> it's like, well, of course she's gay. Of course she's a lesbian because we first see, we only see her with a female love interest. So of course she must be a lesbian because if she were bisexual, she would have had a male love interest. So because TV doesn't work this way. No, no, they are, they are violating the rules of TV. <laughs> As you gesture emphatically with a spatula. <laughs> <laughs> It was lying on my desk. I'll put it down. <laughs> so moving on to Felix. And uh, with Felix, we we don't know how he personally identifies in regards to how he understands his sexuality. I think he I think he thinks he's gay. I don't think Felix thinks he's bisexual or identifies as bisexual. But we don't really know if Felix feels like he was born gay or if he chose to be gay. But I think... So I think Felix is sort of a more typical portrayal of a queer character, especially I know he uh, I know that Felix has been criticized by some people by being a little too stereotypical of a gay male character. And Jordan Gavaris made some comments to that extent in a panel he did for Nerd HQ. So here are those comments. From the from the LGBT community, the reaction to Felix was brilliant. Um, I did receive a couple of little things from the straight community, actually, where they felt that he was a bit of an ugly stereotype and he, um, you know, he was a bit of a, a cliche, over the top, blah, blah, blah. And my response to that has always been this. You cannot collectively, as a society, decide that you are only going to represent one part of a minority. It's like saying that you've represented black people on television because you air an episode of The Cosbys. That is not true. Just like you cannot put an episode of Modern Family on and say that you've represented the LGBT community. That's unfair, it's exclusionary, and it's irresponsible. So I feel that 
Felix. It, <laughs> um, I I just don't know when when as a society in in television and film it sort of only became okay to represent gay people in like the traditional sense where they have a great job and well-adjusted parents and and maybe a surrogate or adopted child or what like when was that the only way you could represent gay people? And it's kind of interesting because here Jordan Gavaris's perspective seems pretty different from what we might have heard from the gay community 10 or 15 years ago when the only gay characters on TV were Will and Jack on Will and Grace. Right, because I think there was more of what Jordan Gavaris describes of criticism of that type of character as just, oh, very stereotypical, not all gay men are like this, we need more people like like Cameron on from Modern Family and, and those two guys... So it's interesting to hear how the conversation has kind of changed because I also remember when, when Glee first started a few years ago, there was some similar criticism that was directed toward Kurt being too stereotypical of a gay character. But I think those of us who have attended high school recently, all of us knew a Kurt. Yes, it may be the stereotype, the, the dominant present, the, the presentation that dominated the media for, you know, at first or for the longest time, but that doesn't mean that there aren't gay men out there who are like Kurt and like Felix. So I think Jordan Gavaris makes a good point to, if we erase the Felixes and the Kurts, it's just as bad as if we erase, you know, the Cameron from Modern Family. You can't just pick and choose what presentations of queer characters are acceptable. We have to try to portray the community in as broad a scope as possible. Right. It's like a the, the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction in terms of, of representation or in, you know, here we had this one type of character and then it swung in the other direction and now we have like a bunch of the other type of character, but that's really just as bad. It's just bad in a different way. <laughs> so it, it, it takes all kinds is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and we've talked about Felix before. He was the, the subject of episode three of this podcast. And while Felix does have some of the attributes of sort of the stereotypical gay male character, he's very theatrical He's a rent boy. He's into the drug scenes, but he's into the drug scene. Singular. <laughs> wow, I sounded really square. <laughs> we are really square, Stephanie. We are recording know, a podcast right now. <laughs> so he does have some attributes about him that are very sort of the stereotypical gay male character. But the way that the show is portraying Felix, I think, really does go above and beyond the way that those types of characters would have been portrayed, say, 10 or 15 years ago. We have, he's more than just sort of this, this gay best friend who always, he has something funny to say and, you know, he cheers up the main character and then that's kind of it. I think that is, and, and we've discussed this before too, that that's something that I think Orphan Black has really excelled at is all the characters to some extent could be sort of a stereotype of one kind or another, but then they sort of branch out from there. So, Because I, th I think it's been really significant that for Felix, he has had several storylines where it's him and interacting with another character in a significant way. 
you know, it's not just he only has a relationship with Sarah and that's the only relationship we see him have on the show. You know, he has significant interactions with Mrs. S. He has significant interactions with Vic. And then, of course, we see this really lovely relationship that develops between him and Allison over the course of the first season. Possibly the last person you'd expect him to form that kind of bond with. But yeah. Which is why it makes it so lovely. (laughs) And then another significant aspect of Felix is that he is not desexualized. Because this is what we often see with particularly gay male characters on television shows is that we're okay with them when they're being funny and they're dressed well and they're doing a makeover on somebody. But as soon as it's even referenced that they might have sex with another man, ew, 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 we don't want to see that. So, but you know, we see Felix naked. We see him entertaining gentlemen in his loft. Also naked. And he gets... Also naked, and he has a a little bit of a love interest in the first season, and hopefully the second season, because I like Colin. <laughs> I know you do. We all know you do. <laughs> He's adorable. I don't like him as much as Raj. Raj still has my heart, but I do like Colin. <laughs> oh, dear. But yeah, uh, Colin is sort of an interesting counterpoint, I guess, to, to Felix in terms of representation, because... And and also sort of goes back to the argument that Jordan Gavaris is making that, you know, you need more than the one representation. Colin really is sort of a, a different type of character than Felix. He's He's more sort of your average geeky kind of character. He, he's an odd duck, as Felix says. Well, and I think... When the audience sees Felix, the way that Felix is portrayed, we are intended to see Felix and realize, oh, Felix is gay. But with Colin, I don't think that's the case. I think even Felix is a little surprised at the at the end of their first sort of, you know, encounter together where Colin kind of asks him out. So Colin isn't he you know he, like you said he's kind of this average cute nerdy boy it's not somebody that that people would pass on the street and think oh colin's gay the way that probably a lot of people do it with felix so i think it's i think it's important that the show didn't it does try to include these different presentations of of gay men these different representations of queer characters right talking again about you know the the coding of characters colin is is less coded if it wasn't for that sort of flirtation that he started with with Felix. Is, is that also nerd flirting? I think that was a little nerdy. I'm not quite as nerdy as, as Kasim and Delphine, though. Because, man, those grades. Because <laughs> <laughs> Colin and Felix weren't flirting really over nerdy things. They, You know, Colin's just kind of nerdy and flirting. Right. So. <laughs> That's why I asked if that was also, if that qualified as nerd flirting. I don't think it's quite there because they they were not they were not uh, they were not flirting over something nerdy like I don't know comic books or something like that. <laughs> okay, I like clarification here <laughs> because I am nerdy, <laughs> and we'd love to hear your thoughts about the representation of queer characters on Orphan Black or your thoughts about our thoughts about that. You can send us that feedback in several ways. You can email us at feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. Or you can call and leave a message on our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. 
You can also leave a comment on our show notes on TatianaIsEveryone.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. We are at TIE Podcast. And that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you.